so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC podcast. This week we'll hear from Christopher Yuan. I was lying in my bed one night and I noticed in the metal bunk above me, among the graffiti profanity, someone had scribbled something and it read, If you're bored, read Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. See, at the most hopeless point in my life, God was using the words penned by prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me that regardless of who I was and what I had done in the past, he still had a plan for me. In 2014, the ERLC hosted its first national conference titled The Gospel, Homosexuality, and the Future of Marriage. Christopher Yuan shared an inspiring message of redemption, grace, and transformation as he told the story of how the Lord worked through his mother's persevering prayers. We hope you enjoy this message. Growing up, I was not raised in a Christian home, but I had this secret that I kept hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps Reserves. Then, when I entered graduate school at University of Louisville School of Dentistry, and I was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry, I no longer kept it a secret, and I came out of the closet. So, I broke the news to my parents, and I told them, I am gay. My parents were not Christian. This devastated my mother. She was confused, angry. But actually, God used that to draw her to himself. There were a little pamphlet on homosexuality which shared with her the plan of salvation that all of us are sinners. And yet, in spite of our sin, God still loves us. And God opened up the eyes of her heart to see that just as God can love her, in spite of her sin, she could love me, her son. See, before coming to Christ, she couldn't find in herself to love me, her gay son. But now coming to Christ... She realized she could do nothing other than to love her gay son. So my mother gave her life to Christ, and within a few months, my father did as well. I spent most of my free time in the gay clubs, and I began experimenting with drugs. Now, it's important to note that not all gays and lesbians do drugs, promiscuous. Unfortunately, that's part of my story, but I began experimenting with with drugs, and I was a dental student. I didn't have much money, so I supported my habit by selling drugs. And I sold to friends, classmates, and even a professor. See, I actually thought I could live this double life of being a graduate student by day and a promiscuous drug dealer by night. But three months before I was received my doctorate, the administration expelled me. 
So I moved to the bright lights and big city of Atlanta, Georgia. And there I quickly took over the drug scene in the gay community. I became a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. In addition, it was nothing for me to have multiple anonymous sexual encounters each and every day. My parents had no idea that I was doing drugs or even selling drugs, but they knew my biggest need was to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So they tried to reach out to me the love of Christ, and I wanted nothing to do with it. They came to visit me one time in Atlanta, and I had enough after the second day. And they weren't preaching at me, telling me that I'm going to hell, but just the fact that God had so transformed their lives that they radiated Jesus, that in itself was offensive to me. And I told them to get out. But my dad wanted to give me something before he left, and it was his very first Bible. And I told my dad, I do not want your Bible. But he left it on my kitchen counter anyway and walked out the door. But as soon as they left, I took my dad's Bible and I threw it in the trash. I wanted nothing to do with God, nothing to do with their newfound religion. After that visit, it was more than obvious to my parents that I was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. But my parents committed not to focus upon the hopelessness but upon the promises of God. And along with over a hundred prayer warriors from church, from their Bible study fellowship group, they began to cry out to God for me. And my mother began to pray a very bold prayer. God, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. In her desperation, she fasted Every Monday for seven years and once fasted 39 days on my behalf. She would literally spend hours every morning in her prayer closet on her knees crying out to God for me. She knew that it would take nothing short of a miracle to bring this prodigal son to the father. And a miracle is exactly what God did. This miracle came one day with a bang on my door. I opened up my door, and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. I just received a large shipment of drugs, not my largest, but they confiscated all my money and my drugs, and I was charged with the street value equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. With that amount, I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. I'd started with a bright future among society's finest in academia, and I found myself in the ditch among societies despised in the Atlanta City Detention Center. So I tried calling home, and I did not want to make that phone call as I imagined the earful that I was going to get on the other line. But my mother's first words were, Son, are you okay? No condemnation, no berating words, just words of unconditional love and grace. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not God's anger. It's not God's wrath. But it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And even on that miserable day, God was pouring out his irresistible grace and drawing me to himself through the words of my mother. Actually, my mom was excited to get that phone call, if you can believe it or not. Because I hadn't called home in years. And she knew without a doubt that this 
was God's answer to her prayers. So as she hung up that phone, fighting back the tears, she knew she had to do like that good old hymn says. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. No matter what storm she was going through, she had to count her blessings. So she set the phone down and she tore off a little piece of animachine tape paper and she wrote down these first blessings. Christopher is in a safe place compared to before. (laughs) And he called home for the very first time. As my years in prison passed, she kept adding to this list of blessings, counting her blessings. And today, this list of blessings is longer and taller than she is. Three days later, I was walking around the cell block. And I passed by this garbage can. And I looked on top of the trash. And I mean, it was a heap of trash. And I thought, my life is so much like this garbage. I'm from upper middle class suburb of Chicago. My father has two doctorates. I was three months away from receiving my own doctorate. I had it made. But now I found myself among common criminals. Trash. And with my head down, I was about to pass by this garbage can. But something on top of the trash caught my eye. I bent over, picked it up. And it was a Gideon's New Testament. I took that New Testament back to my cell and I opened up that good book for the first time I read through the entire Gospel of Mark that night. But let me tell you, I did not think that this was the answer to my problems. Honestly, I thought I've got an enormous amount of time on my hands and I better pass it somehow. But as many of you know, what we have in our Bibles is not just ink on paper. But what we have in our Bibles, ladies and gentlemen, is the very breath of God. And it is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to go through the hardest of hearts, exposing my sin, my rebellion. It wasn't a pretty sight, and I thought things couldn't get any worse. I was wrong. A couple weeks later, I was called into the nurse's office. They handcuffed me, chained my hands around my waist, shackled my feet together. I shuffled into the nurse's office. She sat me down, and I knew something wasn't right. She was uncomfortably struggling with the words, and she couldn't even give me eye contact. So she scribbled something on a piece of paper and slowly slid it across the desk to me. I looked down at this piece of paper, and I saw three letters and a symbol. It read HIV positive. The days after were dark and lonely. I was sentenced to six years, certainly much better than 10 years to life. But news of my HIV status felt like a death sentence. I was lying in my bed one night, and I noticed in the metal bunk above me, among the graffiti profanity, someone had scribbled something, and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, and not to harm you. 
plans to give you hope and a future. See, at the most hopeless point in my life, God was using the words penned by prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me that regardless of who I was and what I had done in the past, he still had a plan for me. I had no idea where this plan was going to take me, but God gave me enough faith, strength to get through that one day and the next and the next. My transformation was gradual. And God was convicting my dependencies. God was convicting me of the idols in my life. The most obvious was drugs, but within a few months, God delivered me from that. But the last thing that I was holding on to that, that I didn't want to let go was my sexual identity, my sexuality. As I read the Bible, it was so clear to me that God loved me unconditionally. And I also came across some passages in the Bible that seemed to condemn that core part of who I thought I was, my sexuality. So I went to a prison chaplain, asked his, his opinion, and to my surprise, this chaplain told me that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. He gave me a book explaining that view. So with much curiosity, I took that book in the hopes of finding biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one end of the Bible and the other. And let me tell you, just from a human perspective, I had every, every reason in the world to accept what that book was claiming to justify the way I had been living. But God's indwelling Holy Spirit convicted me that those assertions just did not line up with the word of God. I couldn't even finish that book and I gave it back to the chaplain. So I turned to the Bible alone. Sola Scriptura. I turned to the Bible alone. And I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of Scripture. I went cover to cover several times. I had time. <laughs> I was looking for justification. I thought, I, I wanted to find, okay, if, if, if there's question and debate about these six passages, whether they condemn it or not, let's see if there's any passage that would bless a monogamous gay relationship. I went cover to cover several terrible times. I couldn't find anything. So I was at a turning point and a decision had to be made. Either abandon God and, and pursue a gay relationship by allowing my desire for a relationship to dictate how I lived. Or abandon pursuing a monogamous gay relationship by liberating myself from my desires and my sexuality and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My decision was clear and obvious. I chose God. As the days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, I realized my sexuality shouldn't be the core of who I was. See, I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally, but he doesn't want me to change. But I realize now after reading the Bible that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. See, my identity should not be grounded only in my sexuality. My identity is not gay, homosexual, or even heterosexual for that matter. But my sole identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, God says, be holy, for I am holy. I thought that to please this Christian God, I had to become straight. I had to become heterosexual. But even those with heterosexual feelings still struggle with sin. So that should not be the goal. That should not be anyone's goal. 
But our goal, no matter what feelings we have, heterosexual or homosexual, must be holiness. God desires that I not focus upon my attractions or even my desire for a relationship, but a focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity. Because change is not the absence of struggles. God never promises us that you won't be tempted. God never promises us that you won't have any unmet needs. But change is the freedom to choose holiness in the midst of our struggles. So, because the ultimate issue is not what I'm struggling with. Not my desire for relationship, but the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. As I began to live this life of surrender and obedience, God called me to full-time ministry while I was in prison, of all places. And I realized that it didn't matter where I was, whether in prison or out of prison, because my calling on life will remain the same regardless of the location. With that change of heart, God did another miracle, and he shortened my sentence from six years to three years, which is almost unheard of in the federal system. So with only about a year left of my prison sentence, I knew if I was going to continue on in ministry after prison, I'd better learn more about the Bible than just prison religion. So I called home, collect... And I told my parents to mail me an application to the only Bible college I had ever heard of at that time, Moody Bible Institute. But then there was silence on the other line because I think they both dropped their phones. <laughs> they mailed the application into me. I was so excited when I got it, I began filling it out till I realized I needed references. Not from anybody, but people who need, need to know me as, as a Christian for at least one year. I had some slim pickings. <laughs> but I was able to persuade a prison chaplain, a prison guard, another prison inmate to write my references to Moody. So amazingly, they accepted me. (laughs) I was released from prison in July of 2001. I started the very next month in August of 2001. So imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? (laughs) I graduated from Moody in 2005, went on to get my Master's of Arts in Biblical Exegesis from Wheaton College Graduate School, just received my doctorate of ministry this year from Bethel Seminary. And I had the honor, praise God, a miracle. I had... The immense honor of co-authoring a book with my mother called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope, which I find has been even used by some Christian high schools as a textbook to communicate biblical sexuality through our narrative. And then God has an amazing sense of humor where I'm back now at Moody teaching in the Bible department. So I went from prisoner to professor. How about that for a resume? (laughs) Christian parents of gay, of LGB, LGBT, or same-sex attracted children often feel alone, alone, and sometimes racked with guilt. If that is you, I just want to tell you, it's not your fault. Perfect parenting does not guarantee perfect children. The job of Christian parents is not to produce godly children, but the job of Christian parents is to be godly parents. Parents, love your LGBT or same-sex attracted children and point them to a life of costly discipleship following Jesus. The gospel is best communicated or can only be communicated while in relationship. Without my parents' Living out the gospel, I would not be here. Church, let us come alongside our parents 
our children who often feel helpless and isolated and point them to the life-giving gospel that compels us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. I know that many of you have loved ones and friends in the LGBT community. Many of you have loved ones and friends who experience same-sex attractions. And I just want to take this moment as I close to just pray for you and with you. If you just want to reach, if you have a loved one or a friend, just, just raise up your hands. If, if you see someone who with their hands raised, why don't you put your hands over them? And let me just pray for you. Let's bow our heads. Oh, merciful and gracious God, abounding in steadfast love. Thank you for loving us. Even when we were still weak. Even while we were still sinners. And even while we were your enemies. Lord, we know that as much as it breaks our hearts, as people turn from you, it breaks your heart even more. And Lord, in situations that seem hopeless, Give us hope. In situations where there seems to be no outcome, make a way. Help us, Lord God, to remain steadfast. Lord, it cost you everything to love us. Should it not also cost us everything to love you? Help us to be a church that not only truly believes in costly discipleship, but lives it out radically. God, we repent of failing to show that singleness is truly a charisma, a spiritual gift. We repent, Lord God, of believing that singleness is unfair, that singleness is something that is loneliness or is suffering. Help us to be a community that no longer views this with such great stigma and come back to the heart of the gospel by pointing parents, children, brothers, sisters, friends, and neighbors to the cross. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But as we wait, Lord Jesus, empower us to persevere and be faithful. We worship and adore you and pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, the Messiah people of God said, Amen. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. Be sure to subscribe for the most up-to-date episodes. For more information on homosexuality and marriage from a biblical perspective, visit ERLC.com.